when we consider a parable like the one that we're going to consider this morning, we find that we examine ourselves with reference to the amount of appreciation and the amount of devotion that we have for the Lord. We ask ourselves, does our service and devotion to Jesus demonstrate the true extent of our appreciation? If we are slack in our service, what does that indicate? If we wish that we could be more diligent in our service, what is it that would help to motivate us to do so? I believe that the answers to these very timely questions are found in a parable and its setting that Jesus taught so long ago. And on that occasion we find that he was invited to eat at the house of a Pharisee. In studying the parables of Jesus, let's examine the setting and the parable itself that has become known as the parable of the two debtors. We find in this particular setting that Jesus is going to accept an invitation to eat at a Pharisee's house. You know, there's something that be before this parable begins that's in common with several of the other parables that we already spoke of, and that is this. There were other several occasions when Jesus would utilize the opportunity to speak to those that were in the Pharisee's house. We find that on a number of occasions, Pharisees had invited Jesus over for the purpose of testing him or tempting him. Very interesting though, in this particular parable, we find that this Pharisee does not have at first glance any type of ulterior motive, we have no evidence from the pages of divine inspiration in this story that this Pharisee had an ill heart and wanted to bring Jesus in and discredit him for all the things that he said that he was and so on and so forth. What we find though is, is a Pharisee simply asked Jesus if Jesus would come to his house and have a meal. But when Jesus got there, some very interesting things were about to happen. You know, when Jesus speaking in parables, as we've been talking about for several months now, he always chose the right opportunity, the perfect time to preach the perfect sermon. Jesus is not like or was not like you and I, when oftentimes we don't know what we're going to speak on. And oftentimes you and I living in the flesh Somebody might say something to us, and we might be able to come and discuss that idea with them, but sometimes we just simply cannot form the words that are the very best words for that occasion. But that's not as it was with Jesus. Every single time one of these events transpired before him, Jesus would use the very perfect lesson for that occasion. I might say this also about Pharisees. You remember that Jesus speaks of Pharisees in various parts of the New Testament. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks of a Pharisee as a hypocrite. Now, why would a Pharisee be conveyed as or described as a hypocrite by Jesus Christ himself? After all, who were the Pharisees? Who were the religious sect of the Pharisees that were under the law of Moses? Well, simply put, these were the men that were the religious elite of the day. That's what a Pharisee was, the religious elite. 
And oftentimes they place themselves in a superior position over other folks. Jesus said this too. He said they're hypocrites and don't be like them. Why so? Because Jesus says they say and do not. You know, that's exactly what a hypocrite is. A person that pretends but does not do. A person that pretends to be something that they never intended to be. One more uh, example, though, of Pharisees as spoken by Jesus. Jesus spoke of pretentious prayer in a condescending fashion when Jesus exalted the prayer of a sinner called a publican or a tax collector and this Pharisee with all of his pomp and pride and this Pharisee with all of the good things that he thought he possessed by all the wonderful characteristics in his life, Jesus said that lowly sinner, that tax collector whose name of his game was extortion, a man that was known among his peers as a horrible type of person. When he came before the Almighty God on that day, he recognized that he was in the presence of God, and when he did, he recognized and realized his sin. He doesn't even look up to heaven. He smote his breast and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's a very little short prayer. As opposed to what Jesus said, oftentimes the Pharisees would pray. They think that they're going to be heard for their much speaking, for their eloquent manner, and so on. Jesus said, the publican, he went away justified. You know what the word justified means? You remember, we talked about this. It means to have acquitted. In other words, it is clear your slate is clean. And Jesus said, that publican went away justified. The Pharisee, with all of his arrogance, with all of his wonderful characteristics, with all of his wonderful attributes in his life, he went away with his sin. Very interesting, as Jesus describes Pharisees and sinners. Well, on this occasion, it was one of these Pharisees that invites Jesus over to have a meal. We find in Luke chapter 7 and verse 36, and one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down at meat. In verse 37, it said, we find that the woman, there was a woman in the city which was a sinner and found out that Jesus was in the house. You know, I believe with all of my heart, there's nothing that is written in the Bible to take up space or just to be a coincidence. I believe this is a wonderful picture of what a sinner needs to do when a sinner comes to the realization in their life that they've been in sin, they've lived in sin, they no longer want to be in sin. A wonderful picture is painted as Jesus gives this parable. What is that? You see, there was a woman, not the religious elite, not the Pharisee. No, there was a woman out there, and she was a sinner. She finds out that Jesus is over at this Pharisee's house. She can't wait to get there. Oh, I would just imagine, as I can picture in my mind's eye, as she very hurriedly got her things together that she might need and headed over to see Jesus. There is nothing better in all this world for a sinner to do 
than to come to Jesus. I liked very much the selection of songs that we had this morning in our worship service. There is nothing better than coming to the Lord. And I'm going to tell you something. That's exactly who needs to come to the Lord, and that's a sinner. This woman knew that. This woman knew that Jesus was special, that Jesus was different. And so she came to him. The Bible says that she brings an alabaster box of ointment and stood at the feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair and kissed his feet and anointed them with oil. This is a picture perfect or a perfect picture of worship in that day. On that day, she came to honor the Lord. You know, it's very interesting as we look at the events here. This woman comes in and she says nothing according to God's word. We find no evidence that she said anything to anyone in the house. She didn't even say anything to Jesus. She was like Elijah when Elijah was in the, uh, the uh, uh, when Isaiah was in the very presence of the Lord. And we find that he realized his sin because he was in the very presence of the Lord. And he said, I must die for mine eyes have seen the king. Well, here comes this woman and she says nothing, but she falls at the feet of Jesus. You know, then we find something very beautiful. One of the most beautiful pictures in all of the Bible. She's down at the feet of Jesus and she's weeping so much that she takes her own tears and washes the feet of Jesus. Then she takes her hair and dries them. She kisses those feet and then she anoints those feet with that ointment. You know, we're not sure of all the things that she was guilty of in her life. I don't know. Let me just say this, though. Here in this passage, it says that she was a sinner. But very interesting, though, the Bible says that all are sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and all have come short of the glory of God. That is a fact. In fact, the scriptures would teach us that if a man would say that he does not have sin in his life, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. That is a fact and that we understand. So you and I understand that anyone that has ever lived in this whole world except Jesus Christ himself, he's the only exception, is a sinner because we have sin in our life. There's been times when we've sinned, therefore we must be categorized as a sinner. But there was a different class of people. You know, the world classifies sins, but the Lord doesn't. There was this woman, she was a known sinner. I don't know. Some scholars say she might have been a prostitute. Maybe one who was caught in the very act of adultery. We don't know. We can find that those today would be categorized as murderers, maybe. Those people that do things that break in and steal from other folks. See, the world wants to classify or categorize big sins as those that are sinners and everyone else, well, it's not quite so bad. Very interesting, though, all that have sinned and every one of us is in the same category in the eyes of God. 
So Jesus was not saying about this woman that this woman is a sinner and everybody else is okay. Oh no, he was referring to the fact that she was a known sinner and her sin was great and in the eyes of the world she was looked down upon as a sinner. And she comes and falls at the feet of Jesus. These sinners were what was considered to be the outcast of the day. And so this kind of woman was what she was. And all of a sudden, we find that the Pharisee begins to wonder, how could this man truly be a prophet? Because if he was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this was, and he would know the type of woman that is down there at his feet. Well, here it comes. Jesus knew just exactly the heart of this man. He always knew what was perfect to say, and here it comes. The Bible says he knew his heart, and then he says to this man named Simon, and this Simon was the Pharisee, not to be confused with Simon Peter, the apostle. This Pharisee, his name is Simon. And Jesus says, Simon, I have something that I need to tell you. You know, very interesting. I don't know exactly how it was going to be received from Simon at the very beginning, or what Simon, the Pharisee, thought Jesus was going to tell him. I have no idea. All we know is, this man Simon says to Jesus, he says, Master, say on. You know, that word master is translated in different forms. We have Jesus is our master. He is our Lord. He is our king. He is our master, absolutely. He is reigning over his kingdom. He is the king, and we are his subjects in serving him in our obedience. So we call Jesus master because that's what he is to us. This man called him master as translated teacher. So this man was not completely submitting to Jesus. In fact, he doubted whether he could be a prophet because he, if he was, he'd known this woman that was at his feet. So he says this, master, say on. And then in verses 41 and 42, he gives the sermon. He said, There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? So Jesus gives this parable in these two short verses of Scripture regarding the lesson that they needed to know. Jesus said there's two people. And these two people are debtors. They are indebted to a creditor. And we all know what that's like. We all know what it's like to have a creditor in our life. That's when we as the debtor owe the creditor what is rightful and due to him. We go out and we buy a house, we have a creditor. We go out and buy a car, and if we don't pay cash, we have a creditor. We become indebted to that creditor, and we must pay. If we don't pay, we get in trouble for that. In fact, it is unscriptural to have a debt and not pay it. The Bible teaches that we ought to owe no man. And in owing no man, that doesn't mean that we cannot have a balance. It simply means that we ha can never step aside from our obligation of the terms that we've agreed on. If I owe somebody $10,000 and they accept $100 a, a month for the rest of whatever it takes, I have satisfied my debt 
to that person. Sometimes people would say, when the Bible says, owe no man, it means you can't have bills or payments. And that is not what the Bible teaches. Well, here's a creditor, Jesus said, and these people could understand, and this Pharisee, being among the religious elite of the day, he truly understood too. And Jesus said there was a creditor, he has two debtors. One owes 500 pence, one owes 50 pence. King James Version says, Pence, other translations say denarii, which is a plural form of denarius, for what it's worth, as Daryl said, it's free, but here it goes. A denarius, I heard, is about 16 cents. I also heard that one denarius is a day's labor or a day's wages. Needless to say, it matters not. This is what matters. There are two debtors and neither can pay. One has a big debt and one has a small debt. And Jesus said, if this happens, and a creditor says to both these debtors, I know you can't pay, your debt is forgiven. Jesus said, who is going to love him more? You know, even this old Pharisee understood, you know what he said? I suppose the one for whom he forgave most. What if me and Ryan went to Bob and he loaned us some money? Maybe Ryan borrowed $50 from him. Maybe I needed more. Maybe I borrowed $500 from him. We both have one thing in common. Ryan and I are indebted to Bob. He's our creditor. But one day we go to Bob and we say we cannot pay it. Well, I'll tell you, Bob being the good guy that he is, he says... Okay, both of you are forgiven your debt. Ryan owed 50 bucks. I'm going to tell you, anytime you owe money and you no longer owe it, it feels good. So I would just imagine that Ryan's going to feel good about that. He might even like Bob a little. But I'm going to love him. Because if I can't pay, the larger the debt, the more pressure and stress it is to pay that debt. If he forgives me the greater debt, I'm going to love him more. I hope we know that Jesus was not talking about money in this parable. I hope we can all see and that it's very clear that Jesus was talking about something else. Then Jesus begins to make a contrast. First, Jesus says, thou hast answered rightly or correctly because Simon said I suppose the one for whom he forgave most but then Jesus doesn't leave it there Jesus now is going to apply what he has just said by comparing the Pharisee to this sinner this woman in verses 44 and through 46 it says and he turned to the woman and said unto Simon seest thou this woman I entered into thine house, thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Notice, Simon, you didn't bring any water for my feet. And by the way, these were customary things that were done in honor of a guest. 
it was the rightful thing to do by way of a host. Jesus said, when I got here, you didn't recognize me with any honor at all as an honored guest. In fact, you didn't supply any water for my feet. You didn't give me a kiss, which was a greeting form, a respectful greeting form, much like you and I might shake hands with someone today. You didn't anoint my head with oil. In fact, this woman has come, and when she did so, she washed my feet, not with the water you provided, but with her own tears, she dried them with nothing you provided, but with her own hair. And then you didn't give me a kiss. You didn't greet me as your guest. But she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I got here. You didn't anoint my head, but she has not stopped anointing my feet with that ointment that was brought in that alabaster box. Well, Jesus drives the point home in verse 47. Wherefore, I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. At first glance, in the King James Version, it appears that it's a little bit confusing. Is Jesus saying that her love is the cause of her forgiveness... Or is her love the proof of her forgiveness? Is, her, is she forgiven because she loved much? That's what it sounds like. Or is her much love the evidence of the forgiveness of her many sins? Well, going to a different translation, it renders it this way. And I think it sheds some light on the subject. It says it like this. I tell you then... The great love she had shown proves that her many sins have been forgiven. Whoever has been forgiven little, however, shows only a little love. And so we find that her much love was the, was the reason or the, the much love that she had was the evidence of the forgiveness of her many sins. Much like the person that appreciates so much more appreciate so much more the fact that they've been forgiven a large debt. Verse 50, though, says just exactly what saved her, and that was her faith. Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Her faith was the cause of her forgiveness, and her love was the reflection of her faith. Let me notice with you in Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 6, where Paul said, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. One more thing along this line, back to our text now in verse 47, in the latter part of it. It clears it up even further when it says, But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. You know, in applying this parable today, this parable can be a comfort, a wonderful comfort to the sinner. You know, it matters not what a person, person's past is like. It doesn't matter of the things that you did yesterday if today you've taken care of that. It doesn't matter the reputation that you once had when you lived under a different standard. This parable is a beautiful story. 
It is a beautiful story that even those that have great sin in their life, in fact, those that have great sin in their life will be forgiven first before the other folks that think they have a little sin in their life and sit in a condescending fashion over the sinner that comes to repentance. It's all about the heart. Jesus taught that so many times. Some people, you know, they, they really make a mess of their lives. I know that. And they know it. But I'm going to tell you something. And I think you'll find this to be true too. When you've made a mess of your life, your guilt sometimes is harder to bear. Sometimes your guilt is acute. It's like a brand new wound. It's ever opened and it's always before you. The sensations from it continue on and on and on. And it's painful, I know. But you know, when you come to Jesus with that kind of a past, and all of that guilt that's from your life is so acute and hurts so badly, when you come, as that song says, there's room at the foot of the cross for you. When you come to the feet of Jesus, like this woman did so long ago, you can bear your soul and pour your heart out. If you come in obedience to the gospel, come out of the waters of baptism, I'll tell you something, every single thing that happened before is now behind you forever. But you know, sometimes when people have a life that is tainted and it's sinful, Sometimes they're going to express their love for the Lord even greater. Their appreciation for Him is even greater. They will be motivated for greater service in their life. You know, the best example I can think about in the New Testament is that of the Apostle Paul. Here was a man, listen to what he said about himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 9 and 10. Paul said, For I am the least of the apostles... And I'm not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, listen, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. Why was it not in vain? See, going back, he said, I am the least of the apostles. I am not even worthy to be called an apostle. And by the way, we are talking about a man that was the very chosen vessel of Jesus Christ himself. A man that had written by divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit over two-thirds of the New Testament scripture. A very, very important man in the eyes of Jesus Christ. This was a man that was to bear the name of Jesus to the Gentiles. And he says this, I am not even worthy to be considered among the other apostles because I persecuted the church of God. But then he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And the mercy and the grace that he showed me, it was not in vain. Why was it not in vain? He said this, here's the reason. I labored more abundantly than them all. That's why. But then he finishes it like this. As to not put too much credit on himself. 
He says, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. You know, like that old saying, by the grace of God, there go I. Here was a man that realized his past was horrible. You know, if you think about all the things that a person can do in this life, all the sinful things of destroying themselves, destroying their body, destroying their friends, destroying their family, and so on and so forth, I can't think of anything that was as bad as Paul. He was diametrically opposed to the furtherance of the gospel. He was standing there fighting against the furtherance of the gospel, persecuting the church and binding all those that would call upon the name of the Lord. When he came to the realization because Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus road, he changed. He said that was by the grace of God, and by that grace I am what I am. His grace was not bestowed upon me in a vain fashion, and that's because of this. I labored, uh, I labored harder than anyone. In other words, he was indebted so much that he worked even harder. Here's the point. Let me just encourage you this way. Don't wallow in your guilt of sins that have been forgiven. Don't do that. I know that's hard to do. Sometimes we feel guilty for things that have long been taken care of. But that is counterproductive. It is counterproductive to dwell on the sin that has been removed. Just be like Paul. Very humbly be like Paul and labor even harder. The blood of Jesus is what takes away those sins in our life. When he removes those sins by his blood, then we move on. The parable reveals how we can increase our love and devotion to Jesus. Remember, the more aware we are of the forgiveness of sins and the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ, the more we will love and serve Him. Listen, there are two ways that one can have a heightened sense of forgiveness. Number one is what we've already talked about, and that's easy to understand. A person that is guilty of a whole lot, when he's forgiven of a whole lot, you have a heightened value of the forgiveness of sins. What about the second one? What about the person that never feels like he's ever fallen into that category? What about folks that have been children living in their lives with their parents, taking them to the assemblies of the body of Christ their whole life, and then obeying the gospel, and never turned their back and gone back into the ways of the world, and didn't participate in all of those immoral acts and things that we have no business partaking in? How is that kind of a person going to also have a heightened sense of the importance of forgiveness? Very, very simple. Have a better understanding of sin. When you understand what sin is and the price that was paid for it, you will have a higher sense or a heightened sense of the importance of forgiveness. Well, Paul said in Romans 6 and 23 that the wages of sin is spiritual death, which separates one from God. Ezekiel, the 18th chapter, simply says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. In Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, behold, listen to these words. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save 
neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Listen to this. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear you. God can do it. God's there waiting to save. He's there waiting and ready to forgive. What type of sin did Isaiah say that keeps a man from God? What kind of sin causes God to not hear that individual? What type of sin? Big sins? Little sins? Moral sins? What kind of sins? You know what he said? Your sin. That's the kind of sin. Your sin. Whatever that is. There is no degree of sin in this world. All there is, is sin. And when Jesus died on the cross, He died for all sins. The more we learn about the terrible nature of sin, then the more we will appreciate the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. When we understand that and when we appreciate that, we will be motivated to serve Him even better. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verses 14 and 15, the Apostle Paul said, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then were all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You know, when Jesus went to Golgotha so long ago, on Golgotha's brow at Mount Calvary. Everything that happened to him, everything that he had to go through, he went through for every man and every sin. There is no degrees of it. The only thing that will keep a person out of heaven is sin. That's it. Isaiah said, what kind of sin? Remember that? Your sin. My sin. Any sin. I want you to hear these words. Maybe you've heard this before. I don't know. Very touching words as written in a poem about what Jesus did. I think when we have an understanding of this, we can better understand just exactly what Jesus did for us. And in doing that, we'll have a greater appreciation. But it says this. In, in evil long I took delight, unawed by shame or fear, till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agonies and blood, who fixed his languid eyes on me as near the cross I stood. Sure never till my latest breath can I forget that look, it seemed to change me with his, breath, his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. Alas, I knew not what I did, but now my tears are vain. Where shall my trembling soul be hid? For I, the Lord, have slain. A second look he gave which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I die that thou may live. 
Thus while his death my sin displays in all its blackest hue. Such is the mystery of grace, it seals my pardon too. With pleasing grief and, and mournful joy my spirit now is filled. That I should such a life destroy, yet live by him I kill. My sins put Jesus on that cross. So did yours. We got to get rid of those sins, don't we? That's what we have to do. That's really as simple as that. There's nothing hard about it. We got to get rid of him. He did something to pave the way for you and I. But you and I must do something in order to remove those sins in our life. The Bible is very clear. We come hearing the word of God. Upon hearing, faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17, and hearing by the word of God. Jesus would also say, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Mark 16, 15 and 16. Jesus said, I tell you nay, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. We understand that we need to make a change in our life. We need to make the determination. We no longer want to go in the direction we've gone. I want to serve God and turn my back on that old devil and turn my back on a sinful world. Then we must confess the good confession, which is simply I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then go down into the waters of baptism. Be baptized for the remission of sins, for it is at the point, the point of salvation is at baptism. All the other steps lead up to it, but at baptism is when someone finally gets rid of those sins. Let me ask you this, though. What's your devotion and service to Jesus been like? Do you treat him like Simon did? Is that how you treat Jesus in your life? Do you invite him over, but don't treat him like he deserves? Have you honored him by your devotion and service to him? Or are there things that you need to change? You know, this Pharisee invited Jesus over, but Jesus didn't say one favorable thing about this fellow. He said something about the woman, though. Her sins, which were many, are forgiven. How is it with you today? Are you not a Christian? If you're not a Christian, you need to be a Christian. And being a Christian, one must be baptized for the remission of their sins as we just talked about. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.